Good morning, family of God. My name is Chauncey Shiloh, one of the pastors at Christ Community Church. I'll be reading our scripture this morning, so I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's word. The scripture that Pastor John Mark will be preaching on is found in Matthew chapter 4, verses 17 through 25. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, And Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them immediately. They left their boat and their father and followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics and paralytics. And he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. I know you've already been told good morning about 20 times already, but I just feel compelled to say one more time. Good morning, family of God. My name is John Mark Hart. I'm also one of the pastors at Christ Community Church, and I want to start by saying to the Rancho Village family, I have felt the love of Jesus deeply by the way that you have welcomed us into your space and into your hearts. Uh, I keep thinking about Paul's words in Romans where he says, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And you've welcomed us with the welcoming love of Jesus. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. And Christ Community Church family, can we express our appreciation through a little clap for the Rancho family? It's been a joy to know the Borunda family for many years, and I've had a lot of fun getting to know some of your elders and transitional team. Recently, Nate Estrada and Mark and Melissa Madewell have put in a lot of time and effort to prepare for us to be able to share space with you here. And I just know God is pleased with that faithfulness and self-sacrifice. I look forward to seeing what he's going to do through our partnership. The deep longing of my heart is that hundreds of people who might never have heard of the gospel of Jesus are going to come to know Jesus because of it. Doesn't that sound great? I want to take a second now to bow our heads one more time as we prepare to give some focused attention to God's word just want to ask you where you are to quietly pray that the Holy Spirit will speak to you this morning in a deep and personal way. And I'm going to lead us in a prayer.
Our Father, in this moment, we just want to pause to be still and recognize that you are God. and You are good and you are faithful and you're present. We ask that you would forgive our sins this morning and that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. Please give us all humble hearts before your word. I pray for myself, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you and every word I speak would, be, would give grace to your people. pray that today would be a day of deep spiritual renewal in all of our lives. Lord, that is not going to happen because of John Mark's wisdom, but that can happen because your word is living and active. So we just pray for the gracious ministry of your Holy Spirit to make us sensitive to your word. We give you all the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. When you read a phrase like, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, I think it's helpful to remember that when the events of the Gospels took place, God's people had been waiting and waiting and waiting for over four centuries for God to fulfill His promises. The children of Israel had sinned against God. God raised up prophets to call them to repentance. They said, turn from your idolatry, turn from your injustice and trust in the Lord or He's going to discipline you. They did not listen. So the children of Israel were sent into exile. But in that time of exile, God again sent His prophets to promise that He was not going to abandon them in their exile because God never abandons His people, does He? And the prophet said... God's going to rescue you, and He's going to rescue you by sending a king. An anointed king called the Christ, or the Messiah. And when this king comes, He's going to come with the power, the authority, the wisdom, the love, and the justice of God to heal the deep wounds of the world and to set everything right. When the king comes, that's the signal that God's Spirit is about to move in a new way. To forgive the sins of God's people, to spiritually renew and revive them, and then to work through them to gather all nations to God so that people from every ethnic group and every language group all across the planet are going to worship the Lord. That's what God told them. And then they waited. A a year passed, and then five years, and ten years, and twenty years, decades passed. And while the children were hearing old stories, they were listening to their grandmothers who never lost faith, had deep faith. God's going to keep His promise. The King is going to come. But guess what? Those grandmothers died. And the promise of God had not been fulfilled. And then their little kids grew up and had children. And then grandchildren. And those grandfathers and grandmothers said, God will not forget His promise. He will send the King. The King is going to rescue us. And then those grandparents died. And then the next generation rose up. And over time, a lot of people began to lose hope. It's easy to lose hope, isn't it? Waiting is very hard. It's hard spiritual work. But they waited until grandmothers, grandmothers, grandmothers uh, had died and not seen the promise fulfilled. And many of the children of Israel had lost hope. And they began to think we need to take things into our own hands. And devising their own uh, schemes to save themselves, which never works. But there was a faithful remnant. And for more than 400 years, they waited. Those were centuries of struggle. The children of Israel were oppressed 
by one unjust empire after another. They suffered, they struggled, and yet God never forgot His promise. And there was a faithful remnant that was waiting for the Lord. And the first three and a half chapters of Matthew's Gospel are here to announce to us, the time has come. The promises of God are being fulfilled right now. The King is here and His name is Jesus. And they tell us not only is He the King, but He's more than they were expecting because this King is the Son of God. The Gospel of Matthew in the first chapter tells us that we can call Jesus Emmanuel. Everybody say Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. So this King is God Himself come among us, clothing Himself in human weakness and vulnerability to suffer with us and for us to save us from our sins. And the opening chapters of the Gospel are saying, the King is here, the Kingdom of God is coming, all the evil and darkness and pain in the world is about to be overcome, God's people are about to be forgiven and renewed, light is going to go out to all nations, and there's excitement and anticipation. And all that energy is with us when we get to the first verse of our text today. Verse 17, let's read it again, says this, From that time, Jesus began to preach. This is the beginning of his public ministry. And then it summarizes his message like this. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now that simple message has within it a joyful proclamation and a sacred invitation. The joyful proclamation is this. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That means all the promises that your grandma's grandma's grandma were waiting for are being fulfilled now. Jesus is the King. God is going to turn the world upside down and set everything right now. That's the joyful news. That means if you're here today and you've got a heavy heart and you've been living in sin or you've been hurting or you just feel discouraged by all the death and sickness and destruction around us, there is hope because King Jesus has come. And He's going to set everything right. That's the Gospel. That's the joyful proclamation. And this proclamation comes... With an invitation, the invitation is summed up with this one word, repent. Everybody say repent. The word repent means to change your mind or to change your heart or to change your soul. Jesus is saying the time is now. God's salvation has come. Therefore, turn away from evil and turn back to God. Repentance means opening up our souls so that Jesus can come and bring the kingdom of God to bear on our own hearts and change us from the inside out. Now, the first step of the Christian journey is repentance and faith. If you're here today and you're spiritually seeking and you don't have a relationship with God, this is how you start. You acknowledge, I'm a sinner. I've done wrong. I'm not going to hide it. I'm not going to fake it. I know I've done wrong. But I'm coming to God now saying, God, forgive me. God, change me. I trust Jesus. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the Lord. He died on the cross for my sins. He came back to life. And Jesus, I trust you now. I'm yours. That's repentance. That's the first step of the spiritual journey. And if you do that today, God will change your life. He will forgive your sin. You will be born again and adopted into the family of God. That's good. But I want you to know that repentance is not just the first step of the spiritual journey. It's also the last step and every step in between. Martin Luther made the statement that the whole Christian life is a life of repentance. 
The whole Christian life. That means every day we're waking up saying, God, I need you to change me today. Maybe somebody should testify. Anybody need God to change you today? Listen, I woke up this morning and began to pray and ask the Lord to help me to teach his word this morning. I began to worship him. And as I was praying this morning, I was telling God, I love you because you first loved me. You're so good. You're so forgiving. You're so loving. But I had an experience maybe some of you could relate to that. I was telling God, thank you for your love. But then I was just feeling like even as I said, thank you for your love, I didn't feel like God loved me. Anybody ever been there? And I just started being honest with God about it. And as I was talking to him about what was going on in my heart, I began to meditate on some scriptures and believe God's truth. And as I was just sitting quietly with the Lord, the Holy Spirit brought to my attention some attitudes and some thoughts in me that weren't pleasing to him that needed to change. And guess what? I did not feel condemned because there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. What I felt was a sacred invitation that was saying, open up your heart to me in a new way. Confess your sin. Bring it to me. And I want to take you deeper today than you've ever gone before. I want to transform you in a deeper way. So I I just began to confess those sins to the Lord. And as I did, my heart was opened up and I felt his love for me again. And uh, God got my heart ready for today. What am I saying to you? I'm saying repentance is every day. It's every step of the spiritual journey. And if you're here today, the the message that he says in verse 17 is the message for you. Jesus says, I'm the king. I'm here with healing, love and power. I want to heal you and transform you from the inside out. Open your heart to me. Now, the rest of our text today is here to help us imagine what that might look like. If you open your heart fully to Jesus, what does he want to do? And in verses 18 through 25, the Gospel of Matthew tells a story about some of the first disciples of Jesus. We met them, Simon, Andrew, James, and John. And it tells us this story about these four individuals, but it's important to understand the, the, the Gospel of Matthew puts that story there for us as a model or a paradigm for what the journey of discipleship is like for all of us. So this story is here to invite you to put yourself in this story and hear Jesus speaking to you today. And it teaches us that the invitation to repent is really a threefold invitation. There's three callings from Jesus in this. I'm going to summarize them for you now. If you're a note taker, you can jot this down. And then I want to show them to you in the text. We could summarize the three invitations of Jesus with these three words, up, in, and out. So everybody say up, say in, and out. This threefold invitation, up, in, and out, means this. First, Jesus calls us up into a new and transforming relationship with God. Jesus calls us up to a new and transforming relationship with God. As we follow Jesus, we get to know the fullness of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as we know and relate to God, He changes us. He transforms us from the inside out. That's the upward call of Jesus. Also, Jesus calls us in to a new community of love that burns through all the barriers that divide people from one another in this sinful world. Jesus calls us in to a new community of love. And that's a love that burns through all the barriers that divide people from one another in this sinful love, as uh, in this sinful world. Excuse me. And finally, Jesus calls us out to join him in his mission of bringing hope and healing 
to the world by speaking words of truth and doing deeds of love. Jesus calls us out to join him in his mission of bringing hope and healing to the world by speaking words of truth and deeds of love. Now, let me show you those three invitations in the text. First, the upward call of Jesus becomes apparent in verses 18 through 20. Let's read those again. And by the way, I think we got different translations. That's all right. We're going to get coordinated. Partnership, you've got to figure out what translation to use. So I'm reading from the ESV. Y'all can look at whatever you got in front of you. That's fine. But verse 18 says this. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Now, if we compare the other Gospels, in particular the Gospel of John, we know this was not Jesus' first encounter with these individuals. They had already heard his teaching. They'd already seen him do some miracles. They had some experience of Jesus, but what this is, is a moment of decision. This is a turning point in life in which Jesus is calling them to respond. He has already showed them that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and now he's essentially saying to them, repent. This is your invitation. And I want you to hear these words of Jesus as a very personal word to you. If you are willing, you might ask the Holy Spirit to help you have a little imagination. we got some kids in the room. Kids know about imagination. Some of us grow out of our imaginations, but the Holy Spirit helps us to recover those imaginations, okay? So I want you to imagine that you're out at the Sea of Galilee, and you see Jesus walking up from the distance. Can you see it in your mind's eye? You might need to close your eyes if it's been a while since you were a kid. Picture Jesus walking along this beach with the water lapping, and you see him coming close, and your heart starts to get stirred because you know he's special. And as he gets close to you, he pauses like he's about to talk to you, and he turns and looks you in the eye, and he says to you these words, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That's the sacred upward invitation of Jesus. I want to take a second now. You can open your eyes if you want to. That might help you hear the rest of what I'm going to say. I want to take a minute to slowly chew on those words. First, the words, follow me. Everybody say, follow me. These two words are both an invitation and a command. They're an invitation because this is God in the flesh. This is Emmanuel, God with us, saying, I want a relationship with you. Follow me means I want you to become my friends. I want you to hear and recognize my voice. I want you to learn to pour out your heart to me in prayer and learn that I care about every detail of your lives. I want a relationship with you. This is a really big deal because we were made to enjoy relationship with God and we will never be satisfied until we do. Experience that friendship with God. St. Augustine famously prayed, Lord, you have made us for yourself and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. So Jesus is saying, come to me. I want to be your friend. I want to show you my heart. I want to show you yourself. I want to open up to you the heart of God. I want you to experience daily fellowship with me. That is an invitation to joy. It's an invitation to embrace the adventure for which you were created. The adventure of knowing God. But it's also a command because Jesus is king. He has authority. So when we hear this word, we either accept it with faith 
or we reject it. We obey or we disobey. He doesn't leave us with the option of neutrality. If you're here today, Jesus is coming to you with authority saying, follow me. Make relationship with me the center of your life. But Jesus is the kind of king and the kind of authority that most of us have never encountered in our life because in him, absolute authority is totally wedded with absolute love. And what he's saying is, if you will open your heart to me, I will satisfy the places of your soul. Follow me. It's an invitation to relationship. And this invitation is only possible because of what Jesus is going to do later. Because all of us have sinned against God. None of us deserves to enjoy a relationship with God. God is holy, which means sin can't enter into His presence. But Jesus later is going to go to the cross. And on the cross, He's going to bear our sin, our guilt, our shame. He's going to bear all the consequences for all the worst things we've ever said or thought or done. And He's going to exhaust all those consequences fully so that any sinner who trusts in Him can be forgiven and cleansed and accepted into relationship with God. Isn't the gospel awesome? Jesus says, you can have a relationship with me. Now, I want you to hear this in a personal way. God is saying to you, I know your deepest sins that you hide even from yourself, and I love you anyway. Through Jesus, God is saying to you, I want you to know me in a deeper way than you've ever thought possible. Follow me. Follow me. That calls for a response. The disciples had to drop their nets and everything to follow him. And he's calling for a response from you today. But this invitation comes with a promise. That's the next few words. He says, follow me and I will make you. Now, you might want to stop to think about those words. I will make you. If anybody else says, follow me and I will make you, that's like impertinent. If John Mark walks up to you and says, follow me and I will make you, you should walk away, right? You can say, who who are you to say you're going to make me? You're going to transform me. You're going to recreate me. But remember who's talking. This is King Jesus. He's the one who created you in the first place. Now, you may have noticed that you are complicated and I'm complicated. We are both awesome and not awesome. Have you noticed that? We're beautiful, but we also have sin. We might as well admit it. It's church. We're supposed to confess our sin. Who wants to admit they're a sinner? So the Bible says you're fearfully and wonderfully made. You're created in the image of God. He knit you together in your mother's womb. But it also says that you were conceived in sin. There's something bent and broken in you. And here is the person who created you saying to you, I, if you will follow me, I will reform you. I will liberate you. I will set you free from your false sinful self so that for the first time you can learn to be your full, true, authentic self. What we're seeing here is that the invitation to follow Jesus comes with the promise of a new identity. And then in the next words, we learn that this new identity comes with uh, the promise of a new purpose. So everybody say a new relationship, a new identity, a new purpose. As we follow Jesus, he says, I will make you. And then he says, fishers of men. These words make it clear that our new identity comes with a purpose or a mission from God. The kingdom of God is always outward looking. The kingdom of God is always pressing into dark places. The kingdom of God is always going to people where they are hurting, where they are lost, where they are far from God and saying, come to me. I want to heal you. I want to bring you peace. I want to bring you justice. I want to bring you forgiveness. I want to satisfy your soul. 
And what Jesus is saying to these disciples is, if you follow me, not only am I going to heal and transform your soul, but I'm going to give you the purpose of participating with me in my mission. As a matter of fact, if you want to follow me, you've got to go where I'm going to take you. And where I'm going to take you is outside of the walls of this building into a world that desperately needs the light of Christ. The connection between those two things is so deep that Pastor Tony Evans was right to say, followers are fishers. And if we're not fishing, we're not following. Jesus is inviting us into a kingdom of love that always takes us outside of our comfort zone. But those words are not words of condemnation. If you're here and you're, you're hearing that and you're recognizing my faith has become too self-centered, I've been disobedient, you hear this again as a sacred invitation to joy. He's saying, listen, I've already loved you. I loved you before the foundation of the world. But your addiction to your comfort Being stuck in your fear has hindered you from knowing the depth of joy I want to give to you. I'm calling you out of that. That's the upward call of God. And this leads us to the second point, which is the inward call of God. Everybody say in. You see, Peter and Andrew, they leave their nets to start following Jesus, but they only get to follow him by themselves for a few steps. Because just a little bit further down the beach, they run into some of their buddies, James and John. And Jesus calls them. Let's read it. Verse 21 and 22. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and Jesus called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So we're seeing here an important principle about how discipleship works. Simon and Andrew said, I'm going to follow Jesus. Now they're walking behind Jesus. But before long, it's not just them. They look ahead and they see Jesus, but they look to the left and the right. And who do they see? You can talk to me. Somebody yell it out. They see James. They see John. If you follow Jesus, you quickly find yourself in a community of disciples. And that's on purpose. Jesus wants to change us. And one of the main ways he wants to change us is to teach us to walk in a community of love in which our sin is exposed, but also our gifting and our beauty is exposed. And we learn to become like Christ in the way we learn one another. That's going to get more complicated as it goes, because so far you got four dudes and I'm sure Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they grew up together. They probably had lots of fights and stuff, but they already knew each other. They're all fishermen. It's cool. But later, this is going to get more complicated. Because Jesus is going to call, for example, Matthew the tax collector who works for the Roman Empire and Simon the zealot who has made it his life purpose to overthrow the Roman Empire violently if necessary. And now I'm trying to follow Jesus and I got tax collector and zealot on my right and left. Does that sound like it's going to be pretty? No. If you if you say yes to following Jesus, you're saying yes to a new community and yes to all sorts of new conflict. It's beautiful. I love it. Some of us are scared of conflict. But what's what's great is as you read through the Gospel of Matthew, what you find is new community always means new conflict because you've got sinful people with different perspectives and preferences coming together in a new way. But often those conflicts are a sacred opportunity for growth. Some of Jesus' best lessons are taught in response to the disciples not getting along to each other. Matter of fact, let me give you an example. I'm going off script here. If you've got your Bible, this is Matthew chapter 20. But the disciples were in a fight. And guess why they were in a fight? James and John had a mom... And their mom came to Jesus and said, hey, when you come in your kingdom, would you mind making James and John the the people that sit on your right and your left? The most important people in your kingdom. Doesn't that sound like a mom? And she asked him this and Jesus says, basically, you can't ask me that. 
But the other ten of the twelve disciples hear this. And they don't like it. And so they all start grumbling and fighting. They're having conflict. It always happens when there's a church partnership. And they begin to argue with each other and, and fight. And yet Jesus doesn't come with condemnation. He sits down among them and says, listen, you've, you've thought of greatness in one way, the way the world does, in which greatness is about power. It's about seeking honor for yourself. It's about controlling. It's about getting your way. But I'm going to show you a different kind of greatness. True greatness in the kingdom of God is about becoming the servant of everybody else. And he said, that's the greatness I'm going to model for you when I give my life for you on the cross. That the conflict and the difficulty in those relationships created the opportunity for transformation and growth. And it gets more complicated as time goes on because Jesus is going to shock everybody by calling women to follow him. And then after his death and resurrection, Jesus is going to start calling uh, people from every ethnic group on the planet to follow him. And as he starts calling those people to follow him, uh, he's also calling rich and poor, slave and free. Listen, we talk in America a lot right now about how polarized and divided we are. And we are. Has anybody noticed that? We need God to heal our divisions. But it was nothing compared to the divisions that they were dealing with. I mean, really, honestly. If we brought into this room the most conservative Republican and the most liberal Democrat we could find, their difference would not be as big as the difference between Matthew the tax collector and Simon the zealot. And if we uh, talked about the racial conflicts that have, talked about the, that have affected the history of America, because we've got all kind of folk in this room, don't we? White, black, Hispanic, Native American, all sorts of people in this room. And if we talk about the pain of our history, it's painful But it was nothing compared to the early church because they had master and slave that got saved the same day and showed up at church trying to figure out how do we love each other now. They had serious challenges, serious divisions. But I want you to listen to what Jesus said to them about how important it was for them to be able to learn to love each other. John chapter 13, verse 34 through 35, Jesus says this. A new command I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Then down further, John fifteen twelve through 14, he says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. He's saying the mark of authentic discipleship is that we love one another in a way that looks like the cross of Christ. We all die to our own preferences. We all die to our own agendas to say it's not about me, it's about Jesus. And I glorify Jesus by serving you. The Apostle Paul speaks to this reality in the book of Galatians. I'm just going to mention two verses for you. He speaks about the new unity that we have in Christ in Galatians chapter, five, uh, chapter 3, verses 28-29, says this, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither, neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now what's important here is Paul just named the three biggest divisions facing the society in which this church existed. When he says Jew and Greek, he's talking about the biggest ethnic division they faced. When he says male and female, of course, he's talking about gender division. And when he says slave and free, he's talking about the biggest economic division they faced. And yet when he names those three, he's not saying you lose your identity. 
When we come to know Christ, we don't lose our ethnic identity any more than we lose our gender identity, right? I'm a man and my wife is a woman. God made us that way. It's wonderful. We don't lose that identity. But what the text is saying is that our common union with Jesus creates something that you can unite us, which is deeper than anything that could divide us. Now, in the body of Christ, I think it's beautiful that we have ethnic and cultural diversity. Wasn't it fun singing bilingual together? I know Rancho's used to doing that. But Christ Community Church wasn't that fun singing together in two languages. It's a little foretaste of heaven. There's going to be a lot of languages praising Jesus. We're going to need a big screen. Maybe we'll all know the words in heaven. That would be great. But every tribe, tongue, and nation is going to be worshiping God together. We don't lose our ethnic identity and distinctiveness. That diversity glorifies God. But what we do is, is find our common union with Christ creates a bond that unites us, which is stronger than anything that would divide us in the world, so that we can love each other across every line of difference. That comes later in Galatians 6, verse 2, when Paul says, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, if you connect those two verses, it's radical. Because he just said, Jews and Greeks bear one another's burdens. In the world, in that society, Jews and Greeks didn't even know each other. They weren't allowed to have dinner at each other's houses. But Paul says, now in Christ, you have dinner at each other's houses. So you know each other well enough to know each other's burdens. And then you get busy helping bear one another's burdens. He says, slave and free, bear one another's burdens. That's a radical statement. It's a statement that would turn the world upside down over the course of centuries. What he's saying is, if you follow Jesus... Uh, you're going to find yourself in a new community. And we need to see that the upward call of Jesus and the inward call of Jesus cannot be separated. And that's true in two ways. One, if you want to follow Jesus, you must decide to love all the other people that are followers of Christ. If you want to enjoy knowing God, you must decide to serve all the other people and to learn from other people of God. You must decide. They go together. But the flip side of this is like this. If you want to enjoy community, there's no way you're going to do it unless you've got supernatural power from Jesus. Because community in Christ is beautiful, but it's hard. It takes sacrifice. Like all three of these invitations, it looks like cross and resurrection. As we continually die to ourselves, the life of God is unleashed in us. Now, we are here today because we are celebrating the fact that one Jesus-loving, happy, diverse, multi-ethnic church is entering into a new stage of partnership with another Jesus-loving, united, happy, multi-ethnic church. Isn't that awesome? So what we're seeing is that we have already experienced the power of the gospel among us. And I don't know about you, Rancho, but at Christ Community Church, we have found that our experience is a lot like the experience of those early disciples. Diverse relationship means wonderful opportunities for conflict and transformation. Isn't that nice? And now we got two different churches with two different sets of traditions. We should just set expectations from the beginning. You think there might be some miscommunication that happens? Okay. I don't think I heard anybody say no. I think there probably will be. Okay. Is there going to be a possibility that we'll find different preferences or difficulties? And when? The answer is yes to that one also. And if that happens, we shouldn't be disturbed. Jesus planned it that way. Jesus is looking forward to our potential conflicts. So that he could transform us. But then when it arises, here's the opportunity. Because what the devil wants to do is deceive, distract, discourage, and divide. Okay? He's always doing these four things. But Jesus wants to counter 
Deception with truth. Distraction with focus on the gospel and not on ourselves. Discouragement with the encouragement of God's grace and division with the unity of Christ. So every time we find those difficulties, what we can do is choose to sin and then we'll have problems. Or we can choose, I'm going to choose the path of humility. I'm going to choose the path of surrender to Christ. And you know what? It was never about my comfort anyway. It was always about Jesus and His kingdom. And if we do that, what we will experience is an unleashing of the power of the Holy Spirit in new ways. Anybody want to experience that? Okay. Let's go to the third call of Jesus. See, He calls these disciples to Himself. Everybody say, up. And as He calls them to Himself, He's also calling them to a new community. Everybody say, in. But I want you to notice the very first thing He does with these disciples. What is the first agenda item on Jesus' training mission? I'm going to read to you some verses again, the, the, the last three verses of our text. And as I read them, I want you to uh, ask yourself the question, what was Jesus' first step to train these disciples? Beginning in verse 23, And Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. So what was the first thing he did? Answer. When Jesus called these disciples, the very first thing he did with them is lead them out, out of their comfort zone, out of their own little community, out into crowds of human brokenness. He led them out into places of darkness, where he began confronting the darkness and the power of the Holy Spirit and the love of God with words of truth as he proclaimed and taught the gospel of the kingdom and with restorative deeds of love and mercy and justice. So the first thing he did is lead them out. I think this is a challenge to us because in our cultural context, often when we start thinking about discipleship, what we start thinking is, I need to sit in the class for three years because I don't know enough yet. Listen, Simon, Andrew, James, and John didn't know nothing. These guys were clueless. But the context in which they were going to learn was mission. It was the outward call of God. We may think, I need to be more mature. Well, you do need to be more mature. God knows I need to be more mature. And God knows Simon, Andrew, James, and John needed to be more mature. But listen, the way that he was going to teach them maturity is by calling them out of their comfort zone where they were going to walk with Jesus out, where they were going to learn to serve other people. Followers are fishers. If we're not fishing, we're not following. Those words are not spoken with any sense of condemnation. They're here as a gracious invitation. Jesus is a patient teacher. Jesus is gentle with us. He's loving with us. And what he says, I think in the church of Jesus Christ, there, there's, there's always this temptation to become inwardly focused. Anybody ever felt that in your life? I got a lot going on. Some of y'all don't know me yet, but I got six kids. There's plenty in my household to keep me busy, right? And life, it's just easy for us to be taken 
over our agenda and our priorities are consumed with how do we maintain what God has already given us. But that's a recipe for limiting what God would want to do in our lives. What He does is call us out and say, come out into the community. There's people that I want to reach and I want you to experience the joy of partnering with me in my mission. Now, I want you to notice here the twofold mission of Jesus. As He goes out into dark places, He comes with words of truth. Everybody say, words of truth. And He comes out with deeds of love. Everybody say, deeds of love. He proclaims the gospel of the kingdom and He heals the sickness and casts, casts out demons. So His words are teaching the Bible. He's teaching the gospel and inviting people to have a relationship with Christ. But He's doing practical ministry, deed ministry, that ministers to the bodies and the hearts of people at their point of felt need in a way that's revealing to them the love and the power and the reality of God's kingdom among them. The two go together. If we try to separate one from the other, we're weakening both. Gospel, word, disciple-making ministry and service ministry, the works of love, mercy and justice, go together. Now, here's what I'm encouraged about. Already at Rancho Village of Christ Community Church, that's already happening. For example... Big Nate. Where'd Big Nate go? He's in here somewhere. There's Big Nate. I've been hearing about Big Nate's basketball night, and it's awesome. He's opened up. Rancho's got this awesome gym. I'm excited about that, by the way. But Rancho's got this awesome gym, and Nate, Big Nate's been opening it up. And when he opens it up, there's men from the community coming, young guys, who they need a safe place to exercise and to have friendship and friendly competition. God knows there's a lot to hang out on the south side that are not constructive. Have you noticed that? But Big Nate opened up the doors to meet a felt need for basketball, for fun, for exercise, for friendship. And while they're there doing deeds of love, Nate or other guys from the church have been sharing a devotional. That's words of truth. So that just as he shared his testimony with me that somebody invited him to basketball and he got Jesus while he was there, now he wants to share it with other people. That's the kingdom of God. That's the outward call of Jesus. And at Christ Community Church, man, I love our church because there's so many saints that are just going for it. And I wish I had time to tell you all about all of it, but Chauncey leads our school's ministry team that's going into schools all across the south side, doing reading buddies and mentoring with kids, serving people at their point of need. And as he's going, opportunities for gospel ministry are happening and lots of other people from our church are volunteering and working with that. Jared Stevenson leads our neighborhood ministry team that's going into about a dozen apartment complexes every week. Sharing the gospel, teaching the Bible, gathering up youth, adults and children. Many of the people in this room uh, are involved in that. And some of the people in this room came to know Christ through that ministry. Reed Abear is in the room somewhere. Reed, where are you at? Reed started Hilltop Cl- Clinic. Mar- uh, Clarissa Watkins is right there who works with them. And they're, they're, they got a medical ministry that's touching people with the healing love of Jesus at their point of need. And then able to share the light of Christ with them as we go. Gavin, I think, is in here somewhere. Is Gavin in here somewhere? I don't know where Gavin is. Gavin leads our collegiate ministry that's going on to college campuses, sharing the gospel. And I think we've seen six people baptized through that collegiate ministry in the last six months. God is working. But here's the point. It's awesome when we follow Jesus out into the community, but he always wants to take us one step further. Anybody want to see more of that? I want to see more of it. I'm hungry for it. And what Jesus says to us in his loving way is, if you want to be with me, come to where I am. Follow me to where I am going. And where Jesus is going is out into the neighborhood. Out into the school, out into the workplace. There's people with addiction that need recovery ministry. There's people that speak different languages that need to hear the word of God in their heart language. 
There's the next creative ministry that the Spirit of God is going to stir in our midst. Will we be ready to obey? Listen, to obey in the outward call of Jesus is always uncomfortable. But listen, comfort is a very dissatisfying God. Comfort is a dissatisfying idol. If we want joy, we've got to embrace discomfort. and Now I'm about to wrap up. And I want to wrap up by saying this. The beauty of the Christian life is put on fullest display when our discipleship is integrated so that up, in, and out go together and feed each other. That's how it happened naturally for these first disciples. Because of the cross and resurrection of Jesus that's coming, they're able to be forgiven and to enter into a deep fellowship with Jesus. That's the center of everything. But from that fellowship with Jesus comes the capacity for loving, reconciled community so that we serve each other and bear each other's burdens across generational boundaries and and ethnic boundaries and gender boundaries and every other kind of boundary. And within that reconciled community, now there's new power from the Holy Spirit for mission, for the glory of God. When all those go together, it's wonderful. But what starts, what, what happens sometimes is that we start neglecting one of these. And if we neglect any of them, our discipleship and our spiritual formation becomes lopsided. Imagine for a second that we're trying to do community and mission without prioritizing relationship with Jesus. How's that going to go? I mean, lots of Christians have done it. And then we get burnt out or we fall into sin. More importantly, we miss the joy that we were made for. Listen, missional Christian, you are not God's sponge out of which he's trying to wring out maximum productivity. You are God's child. And he loves you and he made you for relationship with himself. So if we neglect up, that's a problem. But what if we try to do up and out? I'm going to know Jesus and I'm going to be a great missionary to serve the South Side, but don't waste my time on community. Well, lots of Christians have tried that too. Um, but it's not going to take you very far. Because Christian community, first of all, is the school of spiritual maturity. It's the place where we learn to die to ourselves and serve other people. It's the place where we learn to hear to God from God through others. But second of all, the mission of God that He wants to accomplish can only be accomplished together because I don't have the spiritual gifts. All of them. And you don't have all the spiritual gifts. He's distributed them so that we need each other. Everybody help me out. Turn to your right. Say, I need you. And you need me. Rancho Village, y'all should probably be warned that I make people repeat things. I'm sorry if that makes you uncomfortable. Turn to the left. Say, I need you. And you need me. So, if we're going to do this up and out thing together, we're going to have to have community. And finally, if we do up and in but leave out, out, I already talked about this, but we can become very self-focused. God still loves us, but we're missing out on so much of the joy and the dynamic spiritual energy He wants to give to us. And our community is missing out on encountering Jesus. So what we want to do is integrate them. Now, what I want to do today is to finish by asking you to bow your head. And I don't know what's going on in every heart here. I don't know what the needs are in everybody, but the Holy Spirit does. And I would want to just ask you to ask the Holy Spirit to show you how he's calling you to take one step deeper into obedience in one of these three areas. So I'm just going to be quiet. Maybe the Holy Spirit's calling you up into deeper fellowship with Jesus to reprioritize relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe he's calling you in to lay down preferences and to put a higher priority on loving and serving the body of Christ. Maybe he's calling you out to step out of your comfort zone and go engage the community with the love of Jesus in a new way. But just ask the Holy Spirit to 
show you. What is the next step of obedience? Lord Jesus, we come to you with thankful hearts. I thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can only do up, in, or out because of that gospel. Because you gave your life for us on the cross and rose again. And I, my longing is for that in my life and in the hearts and lives of everybody in this room, the words of the song will be true that says, wherever you lead, I will go. Lord Jesus, give us hearts of obedience. That relationship with you would be the center of our lives. That we would love and serve one another. And that we would faithfully follow you into our communities to do the work of gospel ministry. Lord, as we surrender to you, as we yield to you, if necessary, as we repent and open our hearts to deeper levels of transformation from your spirit, I pray that not only would there be revival and renewal within these four walls, that the ripple effects of that would spread out. God, as your assembled church, I just want to lead us in prayer right now. Would you use us to call thousands of people to yourself in South Oklahoma City, Lord? Would you use us to raise up generations of mature disciples of Jesus who are going to make disciples who make disciples? Would you make us zealous for good work so that out in the community, all the time, people are going to be encountering the mercy and justice and love of Jesus through our lives in a way that's going to make them say, God is real. Glory to God. Lord, that's a work that no man can do. So we just say, come Holy Spirit. Do that work in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.